Welcome to Take Me to the Cloud, a place for business professionals to hear insights and best practices from industry experts that combine cloud systems, operations, supply chain, and finance. Hi, everyone. I'm here with John Shepperson and Steve Jinnak from SWK Technologies. John is a senior VP business development leader with 21 years of experience in the food and beverage industry. Steve is a director of solution architecture of enterprise solutions with 30 years of experience. Guys, take it away. Thank you, Kim. I uh, appreciate it. Um, so uh, just want to talk a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, our objectives, uh, we're going to examine the uncertainty across the food industry um, that the pandemic has caused, um, discuss the business models that are changing because of that, introduce ideas for planning that change and, and implementing that change, and, and then the ideas for leveraging in uh, your existing technology. Great. So, um, you know, if we want to take an assessment, John, of the, the state of the food industry, you know, right now there's just a lot of uncertainty out there. We really don't know what's happening or, or what the end result is going to be when all of the pandemic is over. Uh, what we do know is that our typical business models are shifting to a new paradigm. Um, things are changing and we need to change with it. You know, we, if we don't keep up with the changes, uh, we're not going to survive in this new reality. So it's imperative that we get a hold of what's going on, understand it, and then act on it. So, um, so Steve, can you talk a little bit about where we came from before COVID? Sure, sure. So, so before COVID, you know, we as Americans would spend upwards of 50% of our food and beverage budgets on food away from home. Um, food away from home is a category that, you know, the dine out uh, features, like we go to restaurants, we go to bars, we go to entertainment venues, et cetera. We spend a lot of time eating out as opposed to eating at home compared to uh, the rest of the world, basically. Uh, we spend less of our disposable income on food in general than anybody else in the world. Um, and because it is so much less expensive for us, we do eat out a lot. Um, a, a, another factor of that is that a significant percentage of our daily calories uh, come as food away from home. So um, basically, you know, an adult, we're supposed to get X number of calories and we're getting most of those from outside the house. Um, in fact, half of what we ingest uh, as Americans comes from less healthy fast food offerings. So, yeah, I've had two of those today. Unfortunately, I've had a busy day at the office. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so where are we today now that, uh, you know, almost a year and a half um, after, well, I guess just one year from the start of the pandemic? From the start? Well, you know, right, right now we, we have a supply chain that is the envy of the world. You know, we, we, we have product coming in from overseas. We produce our own. Uh, we get products to market quicker, et cetera, um, and, and have, you know, basically just a great supply chain out there. Um, we have a very competitive agricultural industry, um, but it's really geared towards large-scale production of uh, conversion of grain to proteins, you know, um, meat production. Um, as Americans, we consume far more meat than anybody else in the world also. I mean, it's, a, it's the truth. We eat a lot of meat. Um, the problem now is that the sustainability of this model is in question. You know, can we continue with what, what was, how we did it before as the world changes around us? You know, things things were changing rapidly throughout COVID. Um, I don't know if you remember, John, but it wasn't too long ago that we heard about potential meat shortages and, and all of a sudden the freezer cases and the, the coolers were empty in the grocery stores. You right. couldn't buy a hamburger. You couldn't buy a steak. Couldn't get anything. Well, guess what? We didn't starve. We just changed what we were buying. You know, right. people that didn't right. like fish bought fish. 
people bought plant-based meats and guess what? They found out that these vegetarian burgers, et cetera, aren't all that bad. So, right. um, you know, we started just buying other things, which kind of shakes up the industry then. Um, we also have like an issue with diversity. You know, we really don't have supply chain diversity. Uh, we really rely on our current supply. We have one or two prime, primary suppliers. We get all of our stuff from them and we don't really worry about going beyond that. Well, uh, disruptions, you know, when they happen, ripple across the whole industry. We saw that with COVID where all of a sudden, right. you know, as producers, we couldn't get the ingredients we need. We couldn't buy the groceries we wanted, et cetera. Yeah, to your point, though, about the supply chain and, and how good it is and uh, where we are, you know, even when we had those issues, it didn't last that long. You know, it was only like a month, maybe. Right. <laughs> is right. all it lasted. And then they figured it out. So. Exactly. Exactly. But it showed what could happen. And that's that's the thing is, as as you know, food manufacturers, as producers, you know, right. we have to be prepared for what do we do when we can't get the things that we need to make the products we normally sell. You know? Right. Right. So, so, so how how has that um, how has our uh, food purchases how has that changed now um, during the pandemic? Well, like I said before, uh, before the pandemic, you know, roughly fifty percent of our food that we ate every day came from food away from home. So we've got to bars and restaurants, et cetera. Now, sixty percent of that category, so sixty percent of the food away from home category, is now in the food at home category. So if you look at that on that basis, if we had 50% as food away from home now, that's dropped down to about uh, roughly 22% or so um, of our food is now uh, um, away from home and the rest we're just eating at home. So uh, here's here's the part that is, is really hard for the food service industry. We can buy a lot more food for a lot less money when we eat at home. Calories are cheaper and we spend less to get them. You know, yeah, before um, the pandemic, you know, I was on on an airplane a couple times a, a month and gone for most of the week. And, you know, I've got teenage boys and, and my wife works. And so certainly she was getting takeout and, and pizza and, and whatever was easiest. Um, now that I'm home, um, first part of the pandemic, much to her chagrin, she realized I was going to be there all the time. But now I'm cooking every night. Right. I, I literally cook every single night. And so um, that also means I go to the grocery store almost every day because I think I can buy enough groceries for my two teenage boys. But in fact, I cannot. Yes. Yes. I, I don't have you that task. I'll, I'll tell you that. So, um, yeah. And, and coupled with you learning how to cook, that's the whole world. The whole, all of America has learned how to cook. We learned how to buy groceries. We were learning how to cook again. And we're learning it can be fun if we make it fun. Um, and, and here's something uh, I heard the other day that uh, as far as food away from home goes, that there's an estimated uh, an estimate that 30% of restaurants have closed permanently. So out of all the restaurants that are out there, roughly 30% have closed and are not going to reopen um, because you know they they couldn't sustain it for that long without any business. And and now that we're all learning how to cook and everything, chances are that's not going to come back. You know the way it was before. Um, the way we buy groceries has shifted. You know. Um, you're going to the grocery store every day, but a lot of the population isn't even going to the grocery store anymore. They go do curbside pickup uh, at Walmart or uh, Kroger's Click List and, and different things like that. Or they do home deliveries, uh, whether it be 
you know, Walmart does home deliveries. I think some others do. I think Uber and, and uh, a couple others had, had tested some markets on doing grocery delivery also. Um, and it, it, it has picked up steam. There's a lot of people who just do that now. They don't even bother going to the store anymore. Um, and, and coupled with that, I mean, food away from home has shifted too, since, you know, we couldn't go sit in a restaurant or it was limited capacity or we could sit outside, but geez, it's New York in, in February. I'm not going to go sit outside and eat. Um, you know, Grubhub, Uber, like took off like crazy. Door, DoorDash, delivering food to your house. You know, you could virtually get anything you want that you would had to go out for before and get it picked up by one of them and brought right to your door. Um, Those guys really had a... Um huge advantage during the pandemic, you know, their yes. business models blew up. Yes. Yeah. And, and the other part is, you know, even the regular, uh, um, restaurants, you know, started doing curbside pickup. So even if you didn't get a delivery, you had the option to call them or go online and put an order in and then go pick it up, you know? Um, yeah. and then also fast food, you know, drive through just went crazy, you know, I still go by a McDonald's or a Panera or, or even Starbucks and the lines that are there for drive through now are just ridiculous. Right. Right. So, so, you know, this is kind of our new abnormal, um, you know, and I don't see this changing anytime soon, really. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, it is the new abnormal or the new normal, if you want to call it that. Um, uh, really, we just have to take a wait and see attitude to see what happens with with uh, uh, restaurant openings, et cetera, and food service, because that, right. you know, that that we're not going to be able to tell for a while yet um, as as it rolls out and opens up and, and they start to get full capacity, et cetera. Um, interesting, though, is is that um, in Denver uh, recently, uh, which is where I'm from, uh, they they had some restaurant owners on who were talking about the fact that it was opening up and they could open up to 50, 75 percent capacity, et cetera. And there was a group of them who got on and they were like, well, that's great. We can get a we can go to 75 percent and we can bring all these people in. Guess what? I still can't get the product I need to be able to serve them. So it doesn't right. matter whether I'm open at 25, 50 or 75 percent. I can't serve more than 25 percent right now anyway. So there's right. still some supply chain issues out there. Yeah, uh, even though there are issues, though, I, I would say that our supply chain is probably the model um, for efficiency. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, ultimately, we really only have had minor hiccups in meeting demand. You know, we talked about the meat shortage there for a while. Um, you know, restaurants where, where maybe they're not getting everything they need on a timely basis, et cetera. Uh, of course, you know, there are exceptions to that rule. And what comes to mind is toilet paper and cleaning products, because, you right. know, I think I still have trouble occasionally when I go to Target or anywhere um, trying to find toilet paper. So uh, uh, that's still out there. But, right. um, you know, what's really what's really uh, um, being looked at at this point is we talked about earlier was more diverse supply chains. You know, how can I have more suppliers so that when I can't get it from one, I can get it from another and still assure quality. Um, there's a movement to go more local. Um, I, I have noticed in grocery stores that uh, there are more and more are advertising that their produce is from local farmers, et cetera, versus, you know, bringing it in from overseas or from down south or wherever you happen to be at that point. Um, right. You know, uh, but there's also a movement to reduce lead times if possible. Now, um, I'm not sure that can really be done. 
uh, I think it, it, if we start to go more local, then it can be done because now you can you can make a phone call and have something in a couple of days versus, you know, now I have to place a PO out there to get something from South America or, or Mexico uh, that I have to wait two, three weeks for. So so it is right. possible. Um, so how, how is all this going to affect manufacturing in the food business? Well, so um, ultimately, you know, there are a lot of challenges and opportunities uh, uh, because the industry is changing. So uh, basically what we have to look at is the high levels for growth and profitability. You know, they're, they're fundamentally the same now as they were before. You know, uh, we have to worry about innovation and transparency. Uh, that's, that's something that's going to shift a little bit because not only do we have new product development, but we also have to have more information around the benefits and nutritional values of food. Um, you know, as as you've seen with the current trend towards plant-based meats, people now that they're at home and they're making the food themselves, they're actually reading labels and saying, "What is this stuff that's in here?" So, we have to we have to think of new ways to make product uh, quicker development and make sure that we get the right information to show the benefits so that people will buy it. Um, quality. You know, we, we're always facing challenges meeting regulations like FISMA, uh, uh, foods, you know, the food safety uh, initiatives, um, but also are facing evolving expectations, especially around growing environmental concerns. Um, you know, uh, what's the sustainability of some of these products that we're using and, and what we're ingesting, et cetera. Um, and supply and demand, which is typical. You know, we have the push-pull seasonal nature of products, you know, coupled with the core supply chain process. But we also have concerns about sustainability now. Can can we keep going this way? Um, and at the same time, we have to embrace this new green initiative that's out there. Uh, we are it's starting to impact the availability of ingredients and raw materials. Uh, you know, making sure that we're getting organic or or clean uh, ingredients, clean uh, clean raised uh, beef, et cetera. You know, no no uh, GMOs and things like that. So. Um, and operational efficiencies. You know, if we're changing products all the time, that affects our equipment utilization. Our downtimes increase and people need to be retrained in new processes. So we really have to look at how we can change that so that we can make sure that we're getting the best of, of both worlds, that we can quickly adapt to this new reality, new products, uh, make sure that we're giving people the right nutritional information and showing a real benefit to that product, but also being able to uh, modify our equipment and how we make products to to not put ourselves in the hole. Right. So, right. so we really take all that. And it has to be tied together with financial and business insight, you know. Uh, we still operate in a lot of individual silos in our business. You know, we're, we're still in spreadsheets. We still have uh, ERP systems that are maybe a little antiqu antiquated, et cetera. You know, um, we, we have to look at all that and say, what does that mean? How does it affect us? And what do we need to do to improve? Right. You know, um, fast forwarding a little bit, you know, what now that um, now that we are um, moving forward here and things are starting to open up. I got my second shot Monday, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, you know, how do we determine what's going on um, in the world and how do we adapt to those changes? So uh, basically, um, you know, the, the food and beverage industry is known for fast changing predictions. You know, it's always been the case. Things change quickly in, in the industry, um, but this year has been an extreme. You know, everybody forgot about sustainability you know, of the industries and the dangers of plastics and other hard to dispose of packaging. 
Um, but then we all started to get our food to go. And all of a sudden that came back. You know, people are like, well, why is all this styrofoam, this plastic, this, et cetera? We, we need to find different ways of doing this. Uh, you know, so that's become a, a concern in the industry now is how, we, how do we do packaging when, when we're buying products off the shelf? Uh, we have to find more sustainable packaging that's acceptable to today's consumer that's environmentally concerned, worried about the green initiative, et cetera. Um, you know, uh, other things that are happening is, is the dairy industry. They struggled for many years because uh, consumption has dropped uh, year over year. Um, but at the same time now, state budgets tightened up. And, uh, and then when the schools all went out and, and everybody stayed home, all of a sudden, you know, there was just no need for all this milk that we normally put into cartons and bottles and, and distribute to the kids across the country. You know, right. That led to just reports in Wisconsin and California and other big dairy states of millions of gallons of milk being dumped because there was no place to take it any longer. Right, right. So, so how do, how does the, uh, the the phasma compliance come in here? Well, you know, the spirit of the regulations are spot on. We, we may all cringe when we hear of FISMA, but, you know, the spirit was there, okay? And really, we could take a, a lesson from that because that's all about um, assessing a situation and implementing a fast response to a changing market. So uh, when all that food safety stuff first came out and, and is still ongoing today, a lot of it revolved around uh, some of the recalls that came out with uh, produce, et cetera, and they quickly grabbed a hold of that and, and investigated what happened. And, and put in some fast responses to protect the public. We need to be able to do the same thing in food and beverage in response to what the changing market conditions right. are. You know, we need to ask ourselves, what if my customers go away? Okay, I'm a food service ma manufacturer or distributor, and now, you know, food service is down by, by you know, 22% of what it was before or 50% or 75% or whatever it might be at this point, you know? Right. Um, do I have to figure out how to get a more diverse customer base? And if so, how do I acquire them? You know, those are things that we need to think about. Um, E-commerce has been growing for years. We know that. But when it comes to grocery, it still say consumers prefer shopping in a grocery store. They like to they like to be able to touch things, see things. And, and there's a lot of impulse buying that goes on. People just like to see what's new, you know. But through the pandemic, the trend towards the opposite is becoming evident. So as that continues, as people are more willing to buy things online and have them and pick them up or have them delivered, you have to figure out how are we going to reach those customers, you know? Right. So, um, you know, that's, that's, and if we don't change, we'll end up like uh, the dairy farmers that I talked about before, you know, um, as well as, you know, stories of, of when the slaughterhouses went down, the meatpacking plants because of COVID, that they had uh, animals that were out there that had nowhere to be processed, you know? So they couldn't get them to market any longer because they had no plants to take them to because the plants were shut down for two or three weeks or a month or whatever it might be at that point. How do we change that? What do we need to do in, in those areas to make sure that if I'm relying on on uh, something from those industries, how do I still get them? You know, another area is automation. You know, everybody's always talking about a bigger need for automation, right? Well, that's true. So when workers can't show up, you know, because of COVID or something, if we had automated systems, we could do more with less. So we're less impacted if we have more automation. But that actually is a, is a double-edged sword because with automation, it usually means less flexibility. So if we're going to try and make fast changes and, and move in a market that, that in a changing direction, you know, having too much automation might actually hurt us at this point also. So it's kind of a balancing act that you have to look at from your standpoint of, of your systems, 
your manufacturing and how it might go, you know. Um, but, you know, there isn't one possible change that's the magic elixir, you know, no magic wands here. You really need to look at uh, t- look at and take the steps you need to take will depend on your business. You know, you have to examine all aspects of the business model continuously. You know, wrapping things up um, now that the you know, we've talked a lot about consumer habits changing, um, you know, the the economy changing, quite honestly, and, and really everything. So, you know, we we've also talked about how that a lot of that is here to stay. Can you talk about, you know, where we go from here, um, you know, just to wrap things up? Yeah, so the current shift in buying practices is unlike anything we've seen, like you said. Um, You know, we talked earlier, the food industry is among the most impacted. Restaurants are closing, the food away from home segment is shrinking, and reduced spend on food and beverage have all had a huge negative impact on the industry. Excuse me. The Wall Street Journal is predicting a lasting effect on the GDP from COVID for up to 10 years. So, um, you know, we don't know when this will come back. Will it come back in full and how long will it really take to, to come back to what would be considered the new normal? Um, we still think convenience will rule. We, we like the idea that we can just go buy at the grocery store anything we want, um, you know, when we want it or have it delivered or get a full service restaurant uh, to the same, you know, uh, now they can bring it home. Um, and, and we're still must follow the trends that we've always followed, but maybe in a, in a faster response time, which is new products. Uh, we need to look at innovating our supply chain and increase the diversity of our offerings. You know, that's the way we're going to uh, end up moving forward. You know, at that point, we'll have a lower nominal end of value of products, even while tonnage goes up. You know, as we shift away from food service and into food away from home, um, I'm sorry, food at home, uh, you know, there's less dollars in that. You know, people buy the products for less when they have to bring them home and cook them than they're willing to spend for them when they eat out. So that means that even though the tonnage through those industries might go up, the value to us is much less. So that means less money on our bottom line. Right. You're uh, skipping so we have, the waiters and the waitresses and the tips and the, the yeah. increase in price and all of that good stuff in our GDP, right? Right, right. And then, and then you know, that just means there's less dollars going to our bottom line. So where do we make that up? Well, we make that up by finding ways to lower our costs, raise efficiencies, and make up margin that way. So, you know, so that's, yeah. that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks, Steve. I think this was a great conversation. Yeah. So one area that we really, you know, talk about is the core ERP at manufacturing companies that, that uh, you know, there, there are places that you can make improvements just within your ERP or really doing an assessment of your ERP, ERP to see if it really will work for you long term. And if not, what you need to do to try and figure out what you should replace it with. So, you know, in a, in a future podcast, we're going to have a discussion on what to look for on your ERP system as to uh, whether it meets your needs and and then how you can either improve the usage of that ERP system and or find the right system to replace it with. So, Well, thank you both. That was a great discussion on the pandemic's impact on the food industry and how business models are changing in response. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Take Me to the Cloud. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to be alerted of new episodes. For more information, visit witham.com.